This is the Inquisitive Minds Podcast. I'm your host as usual, Johnny Smith. Um, with me, my guest today, he is the owner of the Erie Movie House. He is a volunteer veterinary technician assistant at the Erie Animal Network, and he's been a programmer with some very interesting things for over 40 years. Uh, welcome to the program, uh, Craig Stadler. Welcome. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. How Thanks you doing, brother? Too. I'm good. It's the beginning of the week, just getting kind of warmed up, I guess. You know, how about you? Uh, same, same. I'm actually yeah. uh, taking a rare day off today. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time to do this then. Oh, no, no. It's my yeah, yeah. pleasure. Um, I had to reschedule yesterday. I was uh, I was with children. <laughs> Always important, though. Yeah, good stuff. So, Craig, I know you from performing at your venue and through uh, Dan Brady. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started and all that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll condense it down. But um, I started as a programmer when I was about 10 years old, which is about 41 years ago. Um, at this point in the early 80s, uh, got started with, you know, programming the Atari and the Apple and those really early computers, that kind of stuff. Saw the movie Tron when that came out. It was a huge life-changing experience for me. And I decided, you know, that was it. I was going to be a programmer no matter what kind of thing. Um, I had no idea whether it was going to turn out the way that it did or not, you know, money-wise or opportunity-wise or anything like that. It was just something I fell into, was passionate about. Kind of like you hear about, you know, musicians and artists and things like that. They just find their calling or whatever it is. Maybe, you know, could be comedy, could and be you're anything. Just, you're just in yeah. on the ground floor there, too. You said you right. were 10, and that stuff was oh, really yeah. early on. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, a lot of kids didn't even have computers and that kind of thing, and their PCs were pretty new at that point. So, but yeah, totally fell into it and loved it and uh, uh, started programming. And then by the time I was, I think, about 15 or so, I started getting published from writing code and sending them into magazines because these guys, you know, who are much older than me who were writing code in these magazines back then were like rock stars to me. You know, they're okay. like movie stars. Okay, I'm going to have to slow you yeah. down. Because I'm a little out of my element. All right. I don't quite understand what you mean by writing code and sending it to magazines. Like, sure. Okay. So, uh, when you think about an app nowadays, mm -hmm. the code creates that app. Oh, so you're creating like early right, programs and sending it in to people. Right. And back back in the day, uh, magazines, obviously a long time ago, um, they would accept uh, you know offers of people that would write a program write an article around it about what it does and how they went through writing it, send it in, and they would get paid for that. And so I was reading those articles and typing in that code and that kind of stuff at the age of probably 12 or so, I want to say. And it was my thought or aspiration at that point being like, wow, these guys are amazing. I'm going to be in this magazine one day and, you know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, you know, because it was, it was one man shows uh, for the most part back then. It wasn't like now where you have entire teams making an app or entire team making a game. It was, it was one guy, even, you know, the Atari games and all that kind of stuff. And, and oftentimes these guys were featured as, you know, a movie star, a rock star, and their picture so, was on the back of the back of the box and stuff. So you and were so, so young when you were doing this. Uh, yeah. Is it self-taught? Where did you learn to do it? It, it? For the most part, it was through this through the magazines. And then, oddly enough, um, I learned my first programming language, which was called BASIC, which is the most basic one that you can learn back then. <laughs> and then I asked a, a bunch of friends and stuff, what's the most difficult language to learn? Because I figured if I went to the most to the easiest one to the most difficult, anything would be okay in between. 
So I figured I would challenge myself. And they said, well, assembly language is the most difficult uh, because you've probably seen patterns of zeros and ones, binary, yes. that kind of yeah, thing. Yes. Assembly language is just outside of that. So it's not quite binary, but it's very, very close, which is incredibly cryptic to most people. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go to the library and see if I can get a book on how to learn this. Because if I can tackle that, like the most difficult language ever at 12 or 13, anything, anything else will be easy. First so, off, I want to say as yeah. a young man, you had such vision and it sounds like motivation. It's beautiful, but don't let me interrupt you. No, that's fine. Uh, and so I went to the library. I found, uh, believe it or not, a, a children's book on assembly language. I can't believe anyone wrote this back in the 80s, but it was essentially, you know, little cartoons and building blocks to help you understand like how the computer actually processes information, how to tell it commands and do things in a very, very complicated language. So that was my second language that I learned was assembly language, which is, you know, anyone will tell you the most difficult language to learn because it's, like I said, it's incredibly cryptic. It's, it's similar to like, if I said to you, bake me a cake and you went and bought a Betty Crocker mix, mm -hmm. that's one thing. That's real, real easy to do. Yeah, but if simple. I said, okay, now make me a cake, but you have to go out and grow everything with seeds. You have to plant your sugar. You have to, you know, grow your everything from the ground up. Very, very, very granular, basic elements. You'd be like, whoa, I don't even know how to, you know, nurture these plants or grow them or keep, you know, animals from eating them. There's so much to learn here. I'd be like, we've uh, got to talk about budget because yeah, anyway, this is going to take a lot yeah. longer. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll <laughs> definitely fast forward. So, yeah. So I had that aspiration essentially to start to be a programmer. Tron blew my mind, got into programming from finding a library book. So no, on that, and so no, forth. I'm, I'm sorry. That's uh, <laughs> fine. And, and don't feel rushed. I'm not rushing you if, yeah. if, if that's what you feel, because this is very fascinating to me. So you got this children's book and then, how long did did it take you to learn that uh, that difficult language? I would say about a year. Okay. Yeah, because my goal was is to take that language, learn how to do it, write code, write an article, and get published in that magazine. That, now, there you, was actually two magazines. That I wanted you to had be in, these but, yeah. magazines that you were reading, but did you have anyone uh, close to you? Did you have any friends that were in this involved in this, or is this no, also? no? It was all pretty much solo, and I read everything through the magazines and. And that kind of thing. I did go to actually uh, an older gentleman actually took me to what was uh, called a users group back then for people that used a, a similar computer. So they had today an Atari that's something group. completely different. <laughs> yeah, well, we have meetups now for. No, I've that been kind to of a thing. few. I'm, I've been to a few things called users groups. I'm saying. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> there. We go. It's an NA joke, guys. Sorry, guys. Oh, okay, okay, no problem. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So now they're referred to as meetups, essentially, for people that are into the same topic or sport or whatever. So he did take me to those, and I did have some fostering from you know older folks um, that were very encouraging, but none of them were actual programmers. They were all you know pirate software and you know share games, and okay, that kind of thing. So there was a little bit of that to, to that credit, and my parents did definitely encourage me. Um, it's just that. They didn't really understand what the hell I was doing, obviously, and that's fine. It makes total sense. So, you know, so the years go by. I get better and better at being a programmer. By the time I was, I want to say 15, I got into the, that magazine and I believe two more. Um, and it wasn't really even about the money. It was just about accomplishing something. Um, mm -hmm. And now that I look back, I'm like, damn, you know, that was pretty crazy to want to do that at like 13. Yeah, that's you know, impressive. And so I did that, um, ended up you know, working a few programmer jobs, that kind of thing, moved out to uh, Georgia, I went to Georgia State uh, for uh, three and a half years, I guess. I ended up dropping out because it just, it just wasn't for me. About what but year it, was this? This, I ended up leaving in 1995. Okay. So yeah, 
could have been four years, but anyways, did not finish. But I did work at the computer center, which was incredibly amazing to me because I got to be around other you know, computer people, programmers, that kind of thing, and help people at the university. And then I got to teach classes, non-credited classes. So in 1991 or 92, maybe 92, I was teaching Introduction to the Internet before the web existed. There was no World Wide oh. Web at that point. Um, and so I was teaching how to do all this crazy technical stuff to graduate students to do research. So that was really awesome that I got to be a part of witnessing like the birth of the web, you know, at that point. Anyways, ended up leaving, got a job uh, uh, as a nuclear software engineer um, after that. And I wasn't quick question, intending. Quick question about the internet itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know so the, breezing through. So. so the internet came out or like for public came out around like the mid 90s, early 90s. Um, well, for the public with dial-up and stuff like that, I would probably fathom, yeah, it could have even been early 90s because you had CompuServe before AOL and Prodigy maybe before AOL, but yeah, probably it's 90s, definitely. Well, what, what was the precursor to that? Because there had to be something before the public got to it. There, well, there definitely was. Yeah, well, there definitely was. I mean, it wasn't the internet itself, but people had these things called BBSs and you would dial in with a phone modem. And so you were effectively using the phone instead of the internet connection to connect to another computer with the same kind of reasoning involved. You're connecting to another resource to chat with people like we do now. We have IM, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were message boards where people could leave stuff by topic. We have message boards now and forums now. Those existed back then. So when I was you know, 10, 11, 12, so, so on and so forth, I was dialing into these BBSs and reading stuff and talking to people and that kind oh. of thing. So. So that was before the internet, without a doubt, public so access. Is that like yeah. the ham radio version of the internet? Possibly, yeah. Diff different communication, different, yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I yeah. have no idea. Now, was there also like government applications? Like who who created this thing? Uh, I believe it was in the 60s that the internet was actually created. And then, of course, uh, in, uh, educational institutions in the government had first access to that, first and foremost universities, uh, because it was, I believe it was created by someone within that infrastructure, I could be wrong. Um, and then, you know, as they kept developing things, then the universities adopted it a lot more and then people developed things for universities and then the web came out and then that's when it kind of really went, you know, rubber to the road uh, to the public, which would be the nineties, yeah. Man, I remember the first time they gave us in, in school, they taught us how to do an email and gave us an email. <clears throat> it was like uh, 1997, I wanna say. And it was okay. the most complicated thing in the goddamn world to me. <laughs> Thankfully, things have gotten simpler. So they yeah, have, you're right. <laughs> I'm, I get back to your story, though. No, it's fine. Uh, so yeah, it's basically uh, the first, I don't want to say real job I had, but the real first real programming job that I had um, back in, in that time, um, which, you know, I would say the 90s, everything was incredibly still conservative when it came to, you know, you have a white shirt or a blue shirt, no stripes, you know, a very IBM kind of life. Okay. And I was in Georgia and Georgia was conservative at that point, you know. Now, Silicon Valley, way different. They were way ahead of that, you know, uh, shorts and flip-flops and all that. That was, you know, no problem. Uh, thankful to, you know, some of those companies like Apple and whatnot that adopted all that stuff in the early days. But in my case, being a programmer, dropping out of college, not having a college degree, which is kind of a not a good thing, you know, trying to get an actual programming job. Um, I found something in the newspaper that was for a programmer at this company that, uh, designed and built hardware for nuclear power plant plants and things like that. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to go for broke. I don't care if I get this job or not. Hopefully they'll see all the work that I've done all the way back to when I was, you know, 10 or 11 years old. So at that point, I'm guessing I was about 23, 
I mean, that's a pretty good solid record of, you know, being yeah. published and all kinds of stuff like that. So my hope was that the person I was interviewing with would see me, you know, as a very, you know, dedicated and driven person and not necessarily the piece of paper. Now, the job itself, you know? was it just a job you wanted because of the money or were you actually interested in what you were doing there? Well, it was, it was definitely... First and foremost, um, I wanted a legitimate programmer job full time, and I figured mm -hmm. if I could get one, I could get more. Before that, I had gotten a few jobs as IT support, crawling under desks, running wires, which was great because I got to learn all this stuff about networking. And so now I'm more of a rounded, you know, individual for that aspect. So I got to learn more about all these things without being a programmer and do my programming on the side. But I, I just wanted to get my foot in the door so I could get more of those jobs. And I said, no more support jobs, no more IT stuff. I don't care how long it takes. Um, and so went into this job, did the interview. I thought it went incredibly well. And then the, the hiring manager, the person I talked to said, well, it's a difficult decision because you're up against a guy who just graduated from MIT, uh, but he has no experience. And I said, I was thinking, oh God, like they're gonna take this guy from MIT. I mean, this is a scientific company. He already has all the background of, you know, not necessarily uh, the nuclear industry, but you know, that kind of thing. And they called me back a few days later and said the job was mine. I was like, yes in your face congrats <laughs> that's that's such an inspiring story i love it yeah. now uh, what was the actual job you said designing parts for a nuclear what now so they the the company itself uh they created hardware essentially for nuclear power plants and for uh radiation detection that could even be used on the field for the military and things like that um, and so i was in charge of writing the software that when these things were running would transmit their data back to the computer and I made the thing so the person in the control tower could watch this thing to know if anything was out of whack. Okay. You know, so if there's too much radiation in this spot or this worker is getting too much dosage or, you know, there's a lot of things involved there. So I wrote the software, not from the ground up, but developed it so that it worked better to keep things within safety regulations. Okay, yeah. so, so how long did you stay at this position? You know, I want to say I was there for like uh, between two and th three years from what I remember. Okay. Um, and then uh, a lot of uh, crap storm kind of life things just happened all at once. My father passed away. My band that I was in, uh, you know, that was doing incredibly well. Just everybody kind of went their separate ways, which Let, totally is understandable. Let's touch on that for a second. Yeah. I didn't know you were a musician. Oh, yeah. I've been a drummer for about 25 years now. Okay. Like, now, death metal and grindcore and stuff like that. Yeah, crazy you, stuff. you can't just skip past that, man. Where did that start? <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, uh, we want the full, uh, all right. the full so, picture of you, brother. In the midst of me, you know, whatever, pursuing programming and all this stuff that I'm talking about, um, this, is, this is a really fun story. So, before that, I had played a little bit of bass in a punk band, just casually, never really serious about it when I was like 17 or so here, push forward to about 23 or 24. Um, I had heard about this new form of metal called death metal, which I didn't know what it was. I mean, I knew about thrash like Slayer and Sepultura was my favorite stuff like that. Uh, and this would have been late eighties, early nineties, but I was always looking for the next like, wow, this is crazy fast or whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you one up, you one up kind of like people do with horror movies or whatever. And um, so I was like, okay, I want to check this out see what this is all about. And in Atlanta, there was a venue called, and it still is, I believe, called The Masquerade. And every Sunday, they had something called Death Metal Sunday because it was getting so big, the, the style, you know, at that point, just brand new to everybody. 
And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and check this out. So Craig, I went. I'm still, I'm still devastated. Huh? You, you were going to skim over the fact that you were in a musical hub of a city and watched the birth of music. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I never know what people are going to be particularly interested. So I'm going to let you, you know, drive the boat. Um, so anyway, so I go to this show. Um, I walk in and, you know, waiting for the band, whatever, not paying attention to anything, who's playing, whatever kind of thing. First band starts playing and I am like completely floored, blown away. Like what is happening right now? I look over to my right and there was a kid that looked to be maybe, you know, 13 years old, maybe. And he was fist banging and screaming every <laughs> single word. I was like, I don't know if I can, am I allowed to swear here? Yeah, so. say yes. I, I looked at this kid and I was like, holy shit. I was like, not, not only was I so moved by this experience, you know, first and foremost, because I was there alone, but I looked over and I was like, oh my God. I was like, I want to do that. Like, <laughs> I want to play that stuff, but I want to make people feel like that. Like, that is amazing. Like that anyone could, you know, make someone feel so like energetic and passionate and like openly emotional. I was like, hell yeah. I was like, that is absolutely what I want to do. And I think it was less than two weeks later, I went out and bought a drum kit and it was Cannibal Corpse. Okay. I saw them in like 1992, 93. So it was like their second album, maybe. Okay second or third album very early on and i had no idea who they were i was just like oh my god these guys are awesome you, you know and they're, they're still jamming out yeah still around and but yeah it was it was not only being moved by that but like the drummer was having so much fun and like the, you know the crowd was enjoying it so much i was like i want to be a part of this you know well if you played bass what made you switch to drums uh, I started bass because uh, I was hanging out with a couple of people and they were like, hey, we lost our bass player. Why don't you just jump in? And I'm like, okay. Peer you pressure know? always leads to bass. Yeah. And the, 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 the quick funny thing about that is they hand me a bass guitar and I'm like, what do I do with this thing? And I remember calling my friend, the guitarist. I was like, this thing isn't making any different noises. It only makes four sounds. He's like, dude, you got to press your strings down like with your finger. I was like, <laughs> oh, I had no idea. You know, no one told me anything, and I didn't. So yes, ding, yeah. But that was fun. Okay, you know, so when you got into the drums, uh, where'd you learn? Uh, self-taught from listening to a lot of music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. just from listening to it. Yeah. Now, are you able to read music as well? I can. Yeah, I can't sight read, but if you gave me something, I could, you know, slowly interpret it and figure it out. Yeah. Um, not really gotten into the, you know classically trained portion of that i have gone back and done rudiments through the years and things like that but it's it's a very physical you know hey man rock crazy the fuck experience out. and yeah uh, just so everyone knows you say it's anyway. a crazy physical experience craig you said you're 51 i am yeah i turned 51 in november yeah uh, he is in incredible shape especially for a 51 year old thank you so um let's get back you were that at that <laughs> company for two or three years Right. And this crap storm happened. I told you, like, my band broke up. My father died. Things weren't going too well in my relationship life. And I decided to end that uh, just because I knew it was a better thing for me to move on. <clears throat> uh, so there were a lot of life decisions that were like kind of forced on me and that I made myself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what do I do now? You know, kind of thing. And I was sitting at a Waffle House with my friend and he was like, you know, going through his own stuff. And we were in our, I don't know, mid, late 20s, 20. 526 whatever it was and he jokingly said and i didn't know he was joking he's like screw this let's move to california and i was i said to him i was like okay that sounds amazing <laughs> and i didn't even know like the dot-com thing had just started mm. right and so i'm sending these resumes out to california you know uh 
trying to get something, ideally in the Bay Area, which is where I wanted to go. I talked to everybody. They said San Diego, uh, LA, or Bay Area, but the Bay Area, obviously, for programmers. And um, sent resumes out. And these companies were actually paying to fly me out for the interview. Oh. Unheard of. Like, the money was just crazy back then. So it was the stuff just that luck I ended up seeing. that you were a programmer and you wanted to go to California while the the dot-com boom was happening. Starting, essentially, yeah. Okay. So this would have been 90, 97, 96, 97, I'm guessing. Okay, yeah, so very early on. Very early, yeah, because this was before Google even started. Because mm. I want to say they started in 98, if I'm, if I'm correct. So you're getting but, flown out to these interviews. Um, nice interviews, how many? Well, I, I only scheduled two, because I didn't know how much time that I had, and I wanted to spend some time just like driving around and just seeing it was what it was like. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling my friend, you know, I got these, you know, interviews scheduled, and he's like, dude, I was just kidding, man, I'm not going. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going by myself then. Um, but it added to the experience, I think, for me, you know, not that it would have been not as good with someone there by my side, a good friend, but having to forge through something like a lot of difficult life experiences, feet to the fire, you know, can sometimes be good for someone to build, you know what I mean? Self-steaming character, character and character. fortitude. And yeah, all that kind of stuff. You sink or swim, man. Like, and so the experience ended up being pretty amazing. You know, so I went out there on my own, did the two interviews. The one interview that I did, uh, they were, in, it was for a, a payroll processing company, which I wasn't too stoked about, but they said, you're going to basically be in charge of creating any kind of program that anyone in this company needs. I think they oh. have what, 800 people and maybe somebody will need you to make this or make that or whatever. They're going to come to you. You're going to be the only guy doing this in the IT department as a custom programmer. And you're going to build things for this company inside the company for what any, anybody needs. So it'll always change. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Cause I don't right. want to do data entry or something. And they said, here's the deal. We're going to find you a place to live. We're going to hook you up. We're going to pay to have all your stuff moved. We're going to have pay the movers and everything. And we're going to give you a five figure bonus just for oh. signing right now. And I was like, hell yeah. I was like, <laughs> I'm good. Let's go. Like <laughs> Jackpot. Yeah. Well, and then the odd thing when I got back, um, I went to work and they called a meeting and saying to, to, to say that essentially the company, because they went a different direction, because I was going to have to tell them that I was quitting. You know, mm -hmm. which I didn't want to do because I love my job there, but they were laying all these people off and I was on the list. Mm. So I was like, okay, I mean, I already got another job lined up. So I got a really nice severance package from them. Oh, so things really worked out then. Oh, it was, oh man, it was unbelievable. It couldn't have been any better. I mean, I felt terrible for the people that were sitting at that table that, you know, had been there 10 plus years and I maybe didn't know what they were going to do for their next job. So it was a mixed bag for me. I was super sad for them. But for me, I was like, hell yeah, like who, the ship came in, you know. What an off the cuff remark in a Waffle House would lead to such success. Right. Or those, yeah, just those, I, I want to say just like luck, random details, who knows? Circumstances. I mean, yeah. Oh, wow. So, okay. So how is this job you get here? How do you like it? So, okay. So that that's just, yeah, we're getting into the, the crux of it. So Basically, uh, came out to California. All my stuff was being moved. So I had roughly like, I don't know, three weeks or something maybe in that scope that I like had no furniture, like <laughs> nothing, <laughs> like empty apartment. But thankfully, I was walking distance to my work. So, uh, you know, I got through it, and waited for my stuff. And I realized really quickly, and this is getting into like a, kind of a major part of a, a thing that changed in my life that <clears throat> cube life just wasn't for me kind of thing. Okay. So I got there, was working, 
the pay was really good. The people were really friendly. I was very appreciated. But at the end of the day, when I got out of that cube and went home, I just wanted to like fall over and die kind of thing. Oh, it man, was like exhausting. I love it. This is, this is where I get excited because I have so many people on this program that are self-made, self-motivated. And it's just this type of, of thought right here, like, oh, working a nine to five or working for someone else is just death for me. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I can certainly understand those details, you know, you know, for other people. And I don't know about the necessarily like working for somebody else, but for me, it was that cube, that effing cube, dude. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. and not only that, like, oh, I mean, and I'm not, certainly not trying to be negative or derogatory toward like the, you know, the office culture or that kind of thing. But, you know, it was every Monday, it was just the same old conversations about, you know, how did you actually, you know, live for two days? Like, yeah. real life stuff you know and i'm like there's got to be more than that man like like, like office space almost yes it, well yeah when that came out i it was amazing how much i connected with that and that's i'm sure there was some some experience you know in writing that uh but anyway so i said okay you know i so appreciate these people for giving me this opportunity i'm not just gonna up and leave because i wasn't under an employment contract but i'll stick this out and while i stick this out um there's one thing that I've always wanted to do because in the movie Tron, uh, the Jeff Bridges, who was a programmer, basically was at this company and created a whole bunch of his own games like while he was there so he could make his own company and leave or whatever. And then those games got stolen and so on and so forth. In my idea, um, I always wanted to make my own company and write my own software and become independent from having to, like you said, work for somebody else or having certain restrictions on my nine to five existence kind yeah, of thing in cube. a way. Yeah. I hope I never step in a cube again for the rest of my life. Like, like outside <laughs> any, anyway, so I, so I came up with a few ideas and this is essentially 1997, wrote a couple of pieces of software. And the way that I did that was um, I would actually, you know, do it after hours kind of thing. So mm. yeah, I would, I would bite my time, but then I would spend my time from, you know, five o'clock until like three in the morning just burning it like at home, you know, so I was kind of working full two, two full-time jobs. And then, so I did, I did that for a while, started doing that, came out with two software products and started selling them real quick. And it, quick it went before, okay. before we figure out what they are, um, yeah. when it comes to writing a program, you, you just explained long hours. How, what, what's the process of that? Well, I think without, it really, you know, without going crazy. Sure. Um, now there are what are called like framework libraries, which are kind of like we talked about the Betty Crocker analogy, which mm -hmm. means you want to make a cake, you get one of this, one of that, bam, you slap them together, mix them the right way and you're, you got a cake, right? Yeah. It's very much the same way now that all this code development has been going on for so many years and evolved with so many engineers and, you know, that now people have built these like kind of free libraries. So it's kind of like if you wanted to build a car, you go out and you buy the tire, you buy the rim, maybe you buy the whole engine already built. Sure, you have to put them together, but it's mm -hmm. not like really making a car from the ground up and welding and, okay, you know, all that stuff. So that's how programming has become much easier is through these libraries and framework libraries that are available, even for web pages and Wix and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, these things are all ready to go. You just snap them into place, upload your images and bam, that kind of thing. Um, it wasn't quite so easy back then in the late 90s. There was less available libraries, less available resources. Um, I ended up using some like Microsoft products like to make these things and then just 
baby steps, you know, okay, yeah. I got to figure out how to do this now, how to do this. And then you look back and you're like, holy shit. Like, I can't believe I did all that. Cause if somebody had told me I had to do a lot in the beginning, I might not have even tried, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right on. So all right. What, what were the programs you came up with? So, okay. So the first one um, had to do with, and these are trivial at this point, obviously um, getting access to what's called Usenet, which is a mes message board that existed before uh, the web. Okay. So you could go on these things and look for images and MP3s and stuff like that. It made it really easy on Windows to, to navigate that because you made a point earlier that like sometimes in those earlier days, things aren't so easy to navigate. And that's why AOL did really well because they made it easy to go through their interface and access email and all these other things with just a couple of clicks. And that's always been something that sold really well to customers is if you simplify something that there's a barrier to it being intimidating or confusing, you can win over a lot of people. Absolutely. Right. And so that was my idea uh, with the Usenet thing. Um, and the first two products were a little bit technical. The second one had to do with downloading all the elements of a web page. So you could navigate to a web page and you could pick and choose and download all the stuff to your hard drive. So you could go to a web page and you could say, hey, I want these images and these MP3s and you hit a button and it downloads all of them. Oh. Whereas sometimes you have to go and like right click and save as and it's a huge pain in the ass and you can't find the images. So this was like a tool for people to download uh, stuff off the internet, download stuff off of web pages. Um, they were doing okay. And then I started to see um, RealPlayer and Windows Media and QuickTime that were coming out with TV stations that you could watch on your computer through these software apps back then. This okay. would be like 98, I'm guessing, or 99. And so I was finding a few random stations here and there. And I'm like, why is there no like master listing or piece of software that I can just pull up all the channels, scroll through them, pick the one I want to watch and watch TV in my computer. And so I thought, well, I should make this. So I started doing research, gathering channels together and writing something to go and find the channels. And then I wrote an interface um, and the program was actually called CTube. And it was computer and tube because my parents mm -hmm. and grandparents would say, stop watching the tube. Okay. You know, and this is before before anybody started using the, the, ter the tube term, because back then everything was like my this and my that and I this and e that and, you know, there and, and stir like friendster and findster and all these other stirs. So people latch on to these things. And now there's a million like tube things, obviously. Yes. yes. And obviously YouTube, but there's a lot of other ones. Um, so found a unique name, which you have to do on the internet, and it's more difficult now than it was back then, um, and basically came up with this concept. Um, and you can go and find it on the internet archive uh, kind of thing. I'll send you a link to it later so you can check it out. But it was fun. So I, I created this uh, software to watch TV on your computer, watch streaming television. Um, it did pretty well in the beginning. And then really quickly, a couple of these larger groups contacted me and they said, hey, we can get you on the front page of Netscape. Um, oh. for two weeks, two weeks to see how it goes. And you can just give us whatever it was, 5% or 10%. Um, it, it absolutely took off at that point. Oh, really? It was absolutely crazy. Um, I want to say, and it was $24 a piece of soft for the, the copy of software. So it wasn't much money, but you sell enough of those and it adds up. And I want to say in two weeks, we sold about $12,000 worth of. Oh, that's, that's of, impressive. Yeah, in, the, in like two weeks. So I was like, whoa, okay, this is great. Like, you know, and obviously everything in my life otherwise was good too. So it was a really nice time. My bro younger brother who wanted to visit me from Erie, who was trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life, maybe he wanted to be a program. I said, uh, you know what, why don't you come out here? You have a Mac, make a Mac version of the software and I'll give you 50% of whatever it makes. Oh, that's very kind of you. 
So I figured like I could be a good brother, take him in. He could live in California in the Bay Area, learn a skill like, you know, with his own merit kind of thing and then be rewarded for it. Um, I joke around and say I kind of regret that decision because I was writing him checks for like two grand like every week. It was absolutely crazy. Oh, that's great. I mean, great for him, though, because it took him, you know, yeah, several months working, you know, 12 hours a day plus like getting books and figuring all this stuff out but he did it you know and he earned it so that all started going really well was going exceptionally well at that point with the mac version which was called itube because everything you know apple back then was mm-hmm. i this or i that still is obviously iphone but um then streaming services started started to go to web pages so with, wh- with flash wh- and stuff while you're doing this with these programs and you're making money are you still working your other job I had actually quit by the time I put out CTube, I had quit my position uh, that I had accepted getting there. And so what I decided was it was this really weird gradual thing. So first I was like, all right, dude, no more cube jobs, period. And then I was like, okay, maybe I'll work a huge cube job, but only as like a really good hourly short duration. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe I'll do that for like two weeks for somebody if the hourly is good, because then I know there's an end in sight and I'll get the fuck out you know whatever (laughs) Uh, so uh so i did that for a little while and i worked for a whole bunch of different companies like power bar and pack bell and paypal and just uh, just whatever Mm -hmm. they had short-term contracts come in and do this come and do that Uh, so i worked as an independent contractor doing that for a little while and then i got to the point and this is shortly after that i was like okay i don't think i can work in an office anymore like even that so i was like okay forced telecommute mandatory and I knew my choices were limited, but by that time I had gotten into a skill that was in such demand that like they had no choice but to let me work at home. So I've been working, I wanna say I've been working telecommute jobs since about 2001. So you were so. way ahead of the COVID. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and, and for totally different reasons. It was just <laughs> mental health and comfort and you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, just peace of mind, whatever, yeah. Okay, yeah. so <clears throat> this is what, 98, 99? And you said streaming services are coming in? Yes, well, streaming services, the dot-com boom is in full form and the bubble's about to burst and this is early 2000s. Okay. I'm guessing. <clears throat> so the advent of the of C-Tube and iTube was around 99 or 2000, give or take. And so things are, we're doing really well. Everything's awesome. Trying to figure out what to do next. Um, and then things start, I can see the sales like start to, to start to tank. And I, I'm noticing there's a lot of uh, online streaming services and stuff like that. Not like Spotify, but like YouTube was out then. Mm-hmm. And they're completely like killing it, you yeah. know, before Google actually even owned them. And that's why they got bought for, I don't know, whatever billion it was. But um, <clears throat> so I can see the writings on the wall. Yeah, it was a cool novel too. We made some good money. I had some really good experiences in building a company. And <clears throat> a guy uh, approached me from, an uh, investor from Manhattan and said, I'm working on a video search engine. Um, Do you want to join that kind of thing? I'll just buy your company. Oh. And it was already not doing like so hot anyways. And he knew like all the details. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Cause (laughs) I love search engines and I'd love to learn more about them and be on a team to make one. And the desktop software thing was cool, but I think I'm done with that. And I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with my company. Yeah. So he bought it and um, he didn't really do anything with it. It was just kind of an acquisition just so that it didn't exist anymore. And it was his whatever. Um, Long story short with that was uh, he was making this search engine for finding videos, which is not really the most unique thing in the world back then. There was a lot of these, uh, a lot of these things. 
but the engineer that was there that was in charge of like the underbelly or the, the, the guts of this thing um, taught me what it was to be like an actual search architect, which is design what makes the search engine work underneath when you type in your keywords, what makes it pick what it does. Some people call this an algorithm, some people call this, you know, whatever, but it's basically making sure that the user when it requests something gets what they want back. I mean, a lot of people complain about this with shopping. You know, they type yeah. in TV and they get TV remotes. Yeah. I don't want a remote, I want an actual television, you know, and the search architecture doesn't know the difference between the two or how to, you know, sense that, you know, kind of thing. Uh, whatever, uh, type in shoes and you get shoelaces. I, I want shoes, you know? So I learned what that was and um, became completely obsessed and fascinated with search engine architecture and creating search engines. And so I took over the position of the, the person that was doing that and learned how to do it along the way. And that's what I've essentially been doing ever since. And that leads into, you know, the, the, the thing that you asked about initially, but I've been a search engine architect for Wow, ah, 15, at least fifteen plus. Okay, maybe so more than that. Maybe more than that at this point. Yeah. Oh wow, fifteen plus years. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, where did the um, where did the move back to Erie come in? So okay, this would have been <laughs> about ten years ago. Uh, I'm guessing close to ten years ago. Has to be close to ten. Um, I was in the Bay Area. Um, I was dating my uh, girlfriend at the time. In Los Angeles, and, and that's you were a pretty, and you were pretty big still distance. working for um, this guy, the search. Uh, no, I was I was not. That had ended, and I, w- I had started a couple of different things: a social network search engine, and one other thing that searched for screen names for Skype and stuff like that, and uh, also a contract position. Okay. Um, anyways, met her. Uh, we were dating and stuff. It got more serious, and then we decided, okay, you know, let's you know, see how this goes and make a more serious commitment, live together. And we came back to Erie a couple of different times in the, that last time, 10 years ago or whatever, we were here for two weeks. And after less than a week, we were like, man, stuff is getting so expensive in the Bay area. I was like, I tell a commute, I can make the same money anywhere. my, anywhere, my money would go twice as long here. Mm-hmm. I'd be with some of my family and it's cheap <clears throat> and the lake and Waldemere and just all this awesome stuff. Plus I kind of like the snow, maybe not as long as it goes on, it's <laughs> right? It's a very extreme, but, uh, this is an extreme yeah. mic up there, man. Yeah, so uh, so we're like, you know what? Let's give it a try. I mean, things are only getting more expensive in California. And this was 10 years ago. It was bad then. It's a million times worse now, obviously. But got out, you know, maybe early, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I came here 10 years ago and uh, continue to do uh, contracting and that kind of stuff, all full remote. And then started the movie house six years ago. How did that start? We were driving past uh, an abandoned uh, movie theater. It was down the street. And I love old nostalgia, especially, you know, because it's uh, in my time period, the 80s, when I was a preteen and teenager. Everybody has their kind of thing that, you know, just clicks for them. Mm-hmm. But that's it for me. And, uh, and uh, I was like, wow, that'd be really awesome if I could put like arcade games in here and decorate like old stuff just to kind of bring people back. <laughs> make them feel, you know, warm and at home again and that kind of thing. And she's like, yeah, I'm really into movies and I could pick movies that are a bit more obscure or strange. And I was like, this sounds cool. We should totally do this together. And we looked into it and it was, the, it was way too expensive. You know, the rent was 10,000 a month and we Woo! had to do all the, yeah, all the furnishing. And I was like, we're not going to make that bunny back. Like there's yeah. no way. <laughs> so we were living in a building um, 
here on Westlake Road, which is a few miles from there, still in the same area. And the people downstairs were moving out. We had lived here for a few years and we couldn't find anywhere that had really high ceilings. Cause I think if you had, you have a huge screen that's like nine feet tall, mm -hmm. you gotta have at least 10, 11, 12 foot ceilings like to be able to put that in. And otherwise it'll be going to the floor and you can't really project on it. And then people will be looking, whatever. Anyways, Nicole had mentioned um, that there was really high ceilings. We went down there, the people were moving out. Sure enough, it was 11 or 12 foot ceilings and probably about 1500 square feet. And I'm like, you know what? These people just completely recarpeted, repainted, put in AC, everything's beautiful. All we have to do is move stuff in. We don't even have to build anything except for the screen. And so I went on uh, eBay and Craigslist and sourced out you know, seats and you know, pinball machine, air hockey machine, just everything that I could find. So we could basically just pull all this stuff in and do a DIY and start it up. And we found, a whole bunch of seats that were um, abandoned. They were either in Ohio or Pittsburgh. I can't remember, but they were basically just dumped in this guy's building when he bought the building. And he's like, just pay me 400 bucks and take all you want. So we got oh. like 50 seats. We had to clean them up and put them all back together, but they were real vintage, like eighties seats from a movie theater, which I really love too, as well, that we could repurpose old, you know, yeah, legit absolutely. seats because I've been to some indie theaters and they're like, folding chairs or church pews and i'm like i love this place but you're seeing socks man like yeah you know, like, yeah we, we've all been to those places right it, you know i love them but you know there's something to be said for that so um yeah and so just built up built up built up and another one so, of these so, games another one of those so it's know. at the same location it's at now this is the original location it is yeah oh wow okay yeah and that came like that because that's amazing yes yeah, if you take everything out of it, that is pretty much. We have I haven't built any walls or, yeah. Uh, for people that don't know, there's a, a theater in there. You said with what, fifty seats? There is thirty. We actually only put thirty in there. We could have put more in there, but I like leg room. Like when you're moving in and out of the rows, you know. Yeah, there's a nice thing. theater <laughs> in there with thirty seats. It's it's actually rather large. Um, there's like uh, uh, booth tables to sit at. There's all these vintage video games there's a popcorn stand right there with a counter around back there's a patio a large backyard that uh we've had many stand-up shows at like the place is phenomenal thanks yeah i appreciate it i think uh my goal was to make people feel really welcomed and really at home and just really comfortable you know and i know that's easy to say but when i feel like I walk into it and I'm impressed by it. And I'm like, man, this feels great. I love this place kind of thing. I can't oh, yeah. help but that that's gotta like, you know, cross over to other people and maybe even in bigger ways. So that's more so my thing is, you know, to provide and, and ideally, honestly, some kind of emotional nostalgic trigger kind of thing too as it well. Because I takes love that. You back yeah. In there, it definitely takes you back. Right. Like, and, and every time I walk in, I'm blown away. But I remember the first time I like kind of lost my shit a little bit. <laughs> I was like, I saw a pay phone yeah. and like, didn't know how to handle myself. Right. I was like, Absolutely. oh, a pay phone. I grew up with those. Ah! Right. Well, and that's the other element too, is I, we have a lot of kids parties, you know, for birthdays and stuff. And these young ones have never even seen a pay phone or a boom box or a jukebox mm -hmm. or you know, a lot of the things that I've got set up in there. And I remember too, as well, this is why I really like this point. When I was really young, I remember my neighbors were brother and sister, elderly couple. Um, you know, they had to be like well into their eighties, if not nineties at that point, but they would kind of babysit us and, and just show us around their house and stuff like that. 
and I was really young, like four something, five maybe, probably four. But man, big impression on me, like the the brother, which I thought it was a grandma, grandpa, whatever, yeah. um, showed me like all these really cool, like you know, vintage antique radios and record players and all kinds of stuff and I was just like wow and I think honestly there was a part of me as a kid that was really moved by the fact that he was so you know what I mean emotionally Mm -hmm. attached Attached. and moved by and being able to share that you know what I mean with a little kid and so I definitely relate to that as well with our venue um, being able to do that with a a little kid too as well knowing that there might be a possibility that you know honestly like you know what i mean even yeah. even in the back there's a mario game set up that takes me right back to my childhood right you know so it's it's definitely amazing and it definitely works well um so tell me about your i guess your baby your search engine idea you've been working on for a while here yeah so all of this pretty much led up to i've always been doing one project or the or another on the side outside of my contract work, but you know, you boil down 15 years of experience of creating search engines. And what happened was uh, about two and a half years ago, I started asking people, I did some research, you know, to find out who's still out there. So if you, you know, consider the story of me seeing the birth of the web and all these companies coming and going, I just didn't pay attention for a lot of years of who was still around. I'm looking and everywhere I go to search for videos on the internet, I'm getting YouTube. And I'm like, well, okay, YouTube's great and everything, but what about Vimeo and Vio and Daily Motion and Meta Cafe and Facebook videos and Twitter videos and Instagram videos? I'm like, why am I not seeing any of these things? Mm-hmm. This is a video search engine, like video.google.com. I'm like, I know you guys own YouTube and everything, but I'm like, what about these other people? So I started thinking to myself, I'm going to talk to people. So I must have talked to at least 50 people saying, hey, do you use a video search engine? And 100%. No, I just go straight to YouTube because that's all they give me is YouTube anyways. All of them said that. Yeah. And it sounds like you too. And uh, so I start thinking to myself, well, I mean, that's amazing, but what about these other places? And if there are other places that still exist, there have to be newer ones. I don't know what they are. And if I don't know, definitely other people don't know. So I said, I'm going to make a video search engine that basically caters primarily to non-YouTube content. And I know that may be counterintuitive, but the thing is, is if you either are on YouTube and you can't find something or you're not happy with them, or maybe you don't like them, or just there could be a lot of different reasons, you know, yes. same, same thing as picking a consumer brand. I mean, you know, maybe you don't like a certain brand of Freedom toothpaste of or whatever. Freedom yes. of choice is always it's wonderful. Simple stuff. Yeah. And I said, just that element alone will make this worth it. And so I, my initial goal was to find like 10 different sources for, uh, for videos and maybe, I don't know, a million or something videos, something like that. Mm -hmm. But what I found was as I started to research to see number one, who was still alive and build, you know, the interfaces to get that data into the search engine, um, I kept finding more and more of these things. And then I would find like a YouTube competitor in Indonesia and one in Japan. And and I had no idea these things existed. Mm -hmm. So it's like the more I got down the rabbit hole, so to speak, the more I found out how much I didn't know And I'm like, wow, I mean, this is great because now I can build a product that'll highlight and give focus to this content that nobody knows even exists, which is really the point of the the search engine itself is to provide access to information. I mean, it's really basic stuff. So you started with the goal of finding 10. Do you remember the number? How many you found? Well, by the end of two years, I found 70. Oh, oh, wow. So there are officially about 70, well, 
give or take 70, uh, you know, other resources for videos um, other than YouTube, which completely blew my mind that there was even more than 10. Yeah. And, 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 and how many videos? Right now, there's almost 700 million videos in our search engine. Hmm. And what, what's the search wow. engine? Promo. Uh, yes. Okay. So here's now here's the wrap in or the tie in. So uh, on the internet, a lot of things have been taken by certain names, whatever kind of thing. And they don't necessarily relate to what you're trying to do. You have to do your research. So just because you come out with a website or a domain name or whatever, somebody else might be using it. Another product might be using it. You got to look. And then you have to come up with something unique enough that either a domain squatter, which is somebody who buys up domains and then tries to resell them at a higher price and kind of gouge, hasn't bought that name, which is difficult too. Um, it's difficult to find something that's unique, that's not completely ridiculous, that people will never remember. Yeah. On top of that too, right? And you don't so, want to have 69 in your, in your <laughs> name, like. Yeah, or just, it has to, yeah, it has to have a certain ring to it and have an identity. And anyways, so I spent a couple of days, it seems like, I uh, couldn't find anything. Everything they came up with was like too silly, non-memorable, too complicated. Uh, somebody had already used the domain. Maybe it's the name of a, I don't know, whatever, food or something. Could be anything. I was just out of resources. <laughs> yeah, it's totally. And so <clears throat> I gave up and I figured this is one of those times going through the creative process. I really think that there are points that you hit a wall and you have to kind of just like let it go, breathe, go do something else and relax. And then it'll come to you when you're not thinking, you know, I, I really think that happens with a lot of people, artists and I agree. performers. I agree. And stuff a, lot like of, that. a lot of stuff comes to me in the shower. I was just about to say that like, totally. That is my jam. Whenever I'm in the middle of a really complicated <laughs> problem. Absolutely. And I've heard about this and there's actually science behind this. Um, Cause I read like, why a shower? Yeah. It has to things. do with the fact that like your attention is actually taking taken to the warmth and the visceral feeling and being relaxed of the water. So it takes your brain somewhere else to allow that to be kind of processed in parallel. And that's how that happens. Okay. Because it's actually taking your attention away and allowing you to actually not focus on it. And you can relax and, a little bit. Yeah. And there are other things that that can, it can do the same thing, but you know, that was always my thing when I had a really difficult problem. I'm like, all right, step back, screw this. I'm just going to go take a shower and forget about it for a while. Not even saying like, I'm going to solve this there, but oh, dude, nine times out of 10, I'd be in the shower trying to just relax, figure it out later. And all of a sudden it just Boom. pops into my head and I'm like, damn, I wasn't even thinking about that. I wasn't even trying to solve it, you know? So sure enough, that kind of thing happened. Uh, and I had done that relaxed, came out and Pete was sitting there, my cat and uh, Pete is named after the Nickelodeon show Pete and Pete, were, which were two redheaded I remember Pete boys. And Pete. Yeah. And so my uh, girlfriend at the time had named him Pete. He's Ginger. Danny Glover was, was like, one of the Pete's. What? Not, not Danny Glover, that actor. Another. I thought it was oh, Danny. Oh, Danny, I'm not sure. Danny something. Yeah. I don't I know. I even really watched Perfect it. If I'm wrong, it was Danny something, though. <laughs> so anyways, I was like, wait a minute you know, uh, everybody in the internet, well, you know what I mean? Most people love cats and yes, people like mascots and people like something that has some kind of identity that's not necessarily, you know what I mean? That's more playful. That Absolutely. Kind of thing. So I contacted, I said, okay, I'm going to call this PD something and vid, vid is short for video. So I just looked up PD vid. I'm sorry, P Danny Tamborelli. Okay. I'm not sure I know who that is. That was one of the redheads. Yeah. That was Pete. 
I'm sorry. I just I, I <laughs> no, just wanted fine. to get that out properly. <clears throat> so yeah, yeah. So Pete even the name was born, and then I got uh, essentially my friend to do uh, kind of a comic book character version of him without it being you know not too childlike and not too like menacing or serious. And he came up with a really great logo of Pete and. The search engine is PDVid, and it's it's modeled after essentially my cat going and finding you oh. videos across uh, seventy or so different sources. Well, that's creative. Now, uh, what is PDVid.com or correct? P- okay, yes. PDVid.com. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Now, um, is it growing more? Like, is there a market for that? Is well, not that's the wrong question. What I mean is. Now that there's a search engine to find videos off of YouTube, have you found that people are producing more videos? Is that market growing now? I think the resources are growing. And I think largely it's because of, I mean, I'm not saying this personally, but some people have expressed to me that they have been upset with YouTube's, uh, you know, lack of uh, clarity on their terms of service. And as a result, people are getting, you know, banned, their channels are getting banned, uh, they're getting demonetized Mm -hmm. for very ambiguous reasons, you know, a lot of these types types of things, which would might lead someone to be like, you know what, I don't want to use their stuff anymore. Now, granted, we don't host videos, we don't uh, upload videos to PDVid, it's all from other sources. But if you're using that to do your video search, we would be a good alternative to that to find videos on other platforms. If you're trying to find something that maybe you haven't found there or to avoid them. And there could be a lot of different reasons. Um, and sorry, go ahead. Have you thought about adding that function? Like how YouTube allows you to upload videos? Have you thought about adding that function? I have, but there's, there's kind of a barrier. I'm a one man show and it's, well, there's only so much that I can do in a day on top of, you know, all my other activities. And I think it also lends itself to the possibility of, I don't know, certain types of, of groups kind of skewing that no, if they're attracted that. to that. I mean, because if you think about Facebook tries to do a really good job of like leveling things out. I know that they tend to be more on the liberal side of things, but um, take another social network, for example, that's very extreme on the other end, which is called Gab. I'm not sure if you're familiar I'm not with sure. that. I'm not familiar okay. with that at all. Uh, so Gab is very, very much extreme, questionable, you know, racist, content racist. Yes. Say it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that most people would not, you know, be interested in, okay. in reading or participating in. But they say um, it's the they say it's free speech. They do. Okay. Yes, and and that is true. It is, but the group that it's attracted is not I an attractive know. group. <laughs> well, I think it kind of ends up defining the product. In yeah. A way. You know, it speaking, does. Of, speaking of Facebook yeah. videos, I watched a video one night before going to bed of a guy repairing a cow's hoof. And two weeks later, I've seen so many videos, I'm pretty sure I can reach you a horse. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, were they suggested to you after that? Is that the... Yes. It was okay. just after one after the other. And I'm just like, oh, this cow has an infection in his foot. We got to clean this out. Right. I'm like, oh. Yeah, this, that can, that, that can be good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is PDVid does not use algorithms to track your search history. And it doesn't save any of that. And it doesn't sell any of your information. And the searches are not based on user activity, which means... You got a guy over in Indonesia does a search and somebody in Japan and then me, we're all going to get the exact same results. It's not skewed or changed based on your locale or what you've searched before or what we think is going to be clicked on more or any of that kind of thing. Now, I understand why Google did those things and they're 
probably making really good money right now. Um, but that's not really the focus of, I'm not gonna say I don't wanna make any money. That's not what you know a business is there for, but uh, it's to not make money. But uh, my focus is to put out a good product that's appreciated by a certain demographic or a couple of different demographics. Um, and we'll see how it goes. It's been, it, it grew for a while and then it kind of stagnated and then COVID hit and then it had another growth spurt. Okay. Um, so it's, it's basically between, you know, I want to say 150 and 200,000 a day. So which is, per day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That which is, like it's quite decent. A bit. It's, yeah, it's decent. It's not amazing. And it's making some money. It's not like phenomenal. Um, but I've just engaged a PR agency as of last week to get some coverage on TV and podcasts and things like that. So we'll see, because I think the environment is ripe for people interested in um, what they perceive as, you know, non-biased and uh, a lot of uncensored feel, and things a lot like of that. Yeah, feel controlled right now. Absolutely, yes, yeah, and yeah, I think they're looking for something that's. Well, I think a lot of people are waking up and realize realizing what I realized two and a half years ago, which is like the entire internet has collapsed down to just a couple of providers. Like, where is everybody else? Yeah. No, we need more than one kind of toothpaste, guys. Like, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Um, you know, freedom of choice, like, I guess, uh, it's part of, uh, you know, United States are like, Oh, we're free. We get to choose. Um, it's nice to see someone bringing, uh, act actively helping to bring some freedom of choice, even if it's on the internet. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is I, I, I joke around and say, you know, one kind of toothpaste, but that's more so in what me, most people would observe at this point, because most people know, you know, YouTube as a video Mm -hmm. source and that's kind of it you know yeah, but now I mean, I, there are there is more out there obviously i found like 70 of them but they don't know that you know the only a lot place of new, new ones that i usually go for videos outside of youtube and it's probably terrible but it's like world star hip-hop oh yeah yeah just because i it's, enjoyed some of their content yeah that's similar to like live leak and uh live leak is like that too where they have people that are filming crazy stuff that's happening, you know, off the cuff. You know, like, I don't want to see hate crimes, but I'll watch right. a fist fight every now and then. Or it's crazy, weird things happening Car in a accident, store or something. This guy's <laughs> tire flew off and crashed through a window. You know, there's a snake at, loose at a, at a bodega, you know. Right. <laughs> or even, like or even a cat a cat sleeping on top of an ATM, like in a store or something, or just yeah, weird something real like life that. stuff that people are like, okay. Um, this is fun. Craig, yeah. I want to ask you uh, for a piece of advice for like someone out there who's interested in getting into programming because you've done all your stuff self-motivated from the ground up. What would you say to someone young and out there interested in everything? What I would say is that the time is better than it ever has been at this point. Um, I think the biggest thing for me that I ended up learning kind of just on accident was is to have a purpose to motivate you to do something okay so for me for example i talked about like when i went in and accidentally saw that cannibal corpse show and i was like wow i want to do that like mm -hmm. i want to make drums i want to play drums like that and more importantly i want to make people feel like that like watching that kid so that's purpose like that was purpose to me and so wanting those two different things I didn't even really have to think about, oh God, I gotta go lessons. Oh, gotta... It was more so focusing on the outcome and what it was that I really wanted. 
right? And so with coding, what I would say is it's not necessarily about like, oh, I'm going to make six figures and blah, blah, blah. So what? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. this is my opinion, of course, but um, learning a new skill in pursuit of actually creating something that you know what it is that you want, I think is probably the bigger motivator. That's awesome. I know right? Because the thing is, you can't just say, well, I'm going to be a programmer. Well, what do you want to make? Why do you want to do it? Like, you know, having purpose drives motivation. It's even like, you know, I people think. want fame and they want fortune, but there's no vehicle to get that. Or what are you going to do to get fame? You know what I mean? Right. It, well, I'm and that like, bigger, bigger question, why too, you know? Yeah. Why? Why do you want that? Right. No, I, I like it. Um, Have a purpose with your life. You know what? And uh, the purpose of this show, it's, it's just to talk to so many interesting people. And you have definitely been one of them today. Thank you. Yeah, it's been nice. Real quick, before we get out here, please promo yourself. Um, the Eerie Movie House is for uh, available to rent out um if it is and uh go over your website again yeah so the the venue itself is available for people to rent what happens is you can just bring in whatever movie you want and we provide the popcorn and all the games and everything are free and uh we have streaming too as well huge screen 30 seats nice pa sound all that stuff and it's eriemoviehouse.com e-r-i-e-m-o-v-i-e-h-o-u-s-e.com um yeah. And then the video search engine, obviously, is PDVid, P-E-T-E-Y-V-I-D.com. And uh, yeah, give it a try and see if you find anything interesting that maybe you haven't seen before. Or yeah, guys, you will. <laughs> make sure you check that out. It's very interesting. I know Craig. He's he's a hell of a guy. You know what? I almost forgot. Cat Daddy, you just, you just took in some foster cats, you told me? I did, yeah. So I started volunteering for a local uh, organization cat shelter eerie animal network back in november and i've been with them four days a week essentially since then and uh you know i definitely care for them there to, between 20 and 25 cats uh, that kind of thing everything from vet tech assistant to litter to meds just all that stuff in between but they're already brought in at that point um and recovering and you know just mm -hmm nursing them back to health and making sure they're cared for and all that stuff, which is great. And I love it, but something came up, um, I don't know, just a few days ago. And they said, we have an emergency. We have these four kittens that are eight weeks old and we have no one that can foster them. All of our fosters are full. And I said, well, I have a huge front room. I work at home. You know, this sounds amazing. And it sounds like it'd be a really nice experience. And I'm sure I'm probably going to want to do it again, <laughs> but yes, I just got them two days ago and they're, they're really well. I'm having to just give them some medication for their deworming, but like they've totally warmed up in a really short time, which is amazing to see too, because when I first got them and any noise would like freak them out and they didn't really like people, but I'm making sure to make little trips in there just to mm -hmm. get them comfortable and stuff. And now when I open the door, they all come up running to me. So it's oh, and just awesome. like, you know, less than two days. So it's really wonderful to see. And the yes, Erie Animal Network. It's a great organization. Can you shout out their website real quick? You know, I'm pretty sure it's just erieanimalnetwork.com. And then there is actually facebook.com slash erieanimalnetwork. Um, we obviously take uh, donations. Everyone that works there is 100% volunteer and does not get paid. So all of our time is, you know, just love and care. And, you know, That's out of everybody's time just to volunteer for a really good cause and take care of the take care of the babies. So that's that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, Craig, thank you for coming on. Absolutely amazing. I genuinely appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. Everybody out there, thank you for listening. Um, until next time, peace and love. Bye-bye.